everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. We are a weekend almost to spring football. It's always football season in Texas, but spring ball is rolling in Fort Worth. We're going to take a deep dive into that. Basketball, big upset over Baylor, had a close uh, loss at Kansas. Combine baseball, that and a whole lot more on this episode of the Frogcast. Well, to kick things off, we want to thank our sponsor, Team Life. It is a tough world out there if you are a junior high and high school student. Man, the, the things that they're showing off on TikTok and all that goes down in the DMs, it's tough to be a junior high and high school student out there. That's why we're grateful for organizations like Team Life that invest in our junior high and high school kids, giving them the tools they need to make responsible and successful choices in their life. Go to teamlife.ngo, find ways for you to make a donation, volunteer your time, and get involved in one of the many junior high and high schools that they are connected and partnered with right there in DFW and beyond. Go to teamlife.ngo and you can learn a whole lot more. I have my partners in crime with me tonight, Daniel Southern, Jeremy Clark. Men, how are you doing tonight? Are you wearing a mask while you are doing this podcast? (laughs) I am in a full hazmat suit. I tried to buy one, but they're all sold out, so... I okay. guess I'll get coroned. You'll get coroned. I've got a few hundred if if you want one. <laughs> Are you marking them up? Uh, twenty five a piece. <laughs> it's not bad. Twenty five dollars a piece, or you're marking them up twenty five cents. No, twenty five dollars a piece. Okay. for now. For now, man's got to get rich. I know, man. Got to pay them bills. He's a he's one of those West Siders. He's got to find out how to pay for that luxury. <laughs> yeah. Although he might have naming rights if this if the if the virus spreads on on the east side box the last one that remains so Windstar is supposedly doing something as a sponsorship or something with that I saw something <laughs> something come across uh, seriously with the, uh, with the yeah, mask or with the east side uh, with the east side oh okay hold on I'm 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 seriously not joking and I and I completely forgot to uh, put this on the board today uh, Donati announces Windstar as the presenting sponsor. Of the Legends Club and Suites. Well, we want to thank our new presenting sponsor, Windstar, where if you go in and mention the Frogcast, you can get two uh, 16s dealt to you when the dealer has 18 on this episode of the Frogcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Windstar, man. Little, I, I bet when Addison and Randolph started this little college for boys and girls in Thorpe Springs in 1873, they were hoping that we would have uh, uh, Oklahoma Indian Casino sponsoring our football team. <laughs> well, oh. and we just got beer. Now we got gambling. <laughs> See, what I want to know is in the east side uh, presented by Windstar, will they have tables? <laughs> I love it presented by Windstar. Presented by Windstar. <laughs> Everything's up for sponsorship now. Including this podcast, yes. I'm I'm tired of spon- getting sponsored by a nonprofit that helps junior high and high school kids get that reservation money on the table right now. Yeah, let's get this party started. That's right, man. I gotta I gotta fund my barbecue addiction here in Memphis. So I'm it's, everything's on the table. If you are a shareholder in any casino, we would love for you to be a uh, partner right here with the Frogcast. We we will we will present this to anybody. We are shameless capitalists. So this can be presented by anyone. Do you know that this, I mean, you could definitely have a wedding on the west side, but you could also have a wedding on the east side. So there could actually be two weddings going on at the same time at Eamon Carter. You know, if they stagger them by 45 minutes, I would do both of them. I could perform both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. I was. We've been talking to Mark Cohen about it because they're going to have, um, they're going to let the donor see it. Uh, obviously, I, I think it's, the day before the spring game or maybe the day of the spring game, but they're going to have some sort of uh, media availability to go up there and shoot video, take pictures, do all the good stuff. And he's just, man, he's, he's just building it up. So, so big. He's like, man, it is just spectacular up there. So I'm excited to see it. I can't, I can't wait because apparently the views are great. Everything's really nice up there. Of course it's new, so it's going to be nice, but um just walking on the outside, it, it just, man, it just does. It, it really, really does make Eamon Carter look completely different. I mean, it just, it's something TC fans should be very proud of. I'll tell you that much. Dang right they should. I'm looking forward to being there on uh, when we kick off at our first home game. I'll be right up there on that east side uh, concourse presented by Windstar. 
the, the concourse. Did you catch that? Not the luxury suites. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get on task here. Enough of the gambling and um, other things. Spring ball is here. Jeremy, uh, Patterson, man, he runs that thing like it's the Kremlin, as, as Daniel said. Uh, the, availability, information, uh, the ability to watch just five minutes of practice as they stretch. I mean, I know if you watch the players stretch, that would be like telling uh, Oklahoma what our defense is going to be on third and long. So what is, what is Coach Patterson's approach to spring ball and – Maybe why is it on such lockdown? Because I know this is a tension with the fan base. And you can say when you go 11-1, and one, hey, it, it works, so how are we to complain? But after a couple uh, shaky seasons, fan frustration might be a little high. What's Patterson's approach to spring ball? I think he just wants to keep everything as tight-lipped as he can simply because of all the questions that's going on right now. You have so many questions on the offensive side of the ball, I, I, especially – who's going to be calling plays. I mean, that's the, it's really not who's going to start at tackle. Who's going to start at running back. Who's going to replace Jalen Rager. It's really, is it going to be Sonny Cumbie calling them plays or is it going to be Doug Meacham? And it was funny the other day. Cause I asked him straight up, Hey, do you guys know, you know who's calling the plays right now? This and that. And he, and he tells me, I don't know. They're, they're scripting things. I haven't even really paid attention. Now, I love Coach P, and I think he knows who's calling plays. I just don't think they want to get into uh, any debates with it right now. Um, but it's kind of like when they used to play in the Mountain West and they would play in Oklahoma or uh, any other schools that were considered P5 back then that he would close practices. And I think for the most part, it's just – maybe he feels like he needs to change things. He's so superstitious that in the past he's opened up practices and they've had two bad seasons. And now I guess he's thinking maybe if I close it, it won't be like that. But I, I just, I don't know, man. It's, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's a letdown from a fan perspective, of course. And it is for us too in the media, because I love going out to practices. I can go out to a practice and pretty much see everything I want in, in a span of two hours and be able to kind of tell what each position looks like and, and, and where they can go up or, or where they need to improve and not having that uh, ability to go out there and watch that is, is kind of a bummer for me as well. Cause I like, I like to pass along that information and, you know, let you guys know as fans and guys that read my site, Hey, this is what, so-and-so's looking like and this is the group that looked really strong to me on that particular day but just gonna have to wait like everyone else on the on the uh spring practice it's not a spring game it's a spring practice uh, on march 28th so it'll be the first time a lot of us are seeing all these players spring practice open to the public on march 28th well at least we get more than 48 hour notice this time so that's good to know that is good to know. All right, let's go ahead and get inside a couple of hot things that are already kind of leaking out. You've reported most of this. Coach Patterson said that they are having their best practices since 2014, which if you remember, the Frogs won the national championship, at least in my heart. So take us inside of what Coach Patterson is saying. They're getting the best practices since 2014. What is he, what is he attributing in that to? And do you think we're getting a little hyperbole? I, I know doing Patterson translation is like a right. work of art, and you have that ability better than most. But tell us what your response is when you hear that. Well, I, I think it's mostly the way he said it, the context he said it in was really the energy and the enthusiasm uh, was the best practice, not as far as execution and everything else, but just going through the practices, going – I mean, it's a very fast-paced practice. Anyone that's been to – a TCU practice understands that there's there's no time for sitting sitting around and watching things. You better be paying attention, and you better be going from station to station pretty much constantly. Um, but I, I think he was impressed with the way the energy was and uh, the guys just willing to learn. and And he did make a comment that makes sense. It's maybe they're too young to understand or know any better, and that's a common thing that he's said in the past in regards to a way a, a player can go out and, and have good games and not get 
too wound up because they don't know any better. They're young and they're, they, they don't think about the stress first and they just go out there and play the game. And I think that's what they're doing with practice right now. They're just going out and practice, trying to impress their, their relatively young team. I mean, if you look at the seniors, there's not very many seniors on this team. So you got a bunch of younger guys, redshirt freshmen trying to make an impact. You've got six early enrollees, actually seven if you include TJ Stormont, who's a grad transfer that, that weren't here in the season during the fall, during the uh, five and seven campaign. So they're wanting to make impressions. And I think that's where you get a lot of enthusiasm. And that's, that's mostly what he was talking about. Just the willingness to go through practice and, and learn and, and energy they, they bring. Well, let's go down through a few positions here. Max Duggan is taking not only first team reps, but second team reps. We all know that the frogs are thin, razor thin at quarterback, just in terms of having, you know, healthy, functional power five bodies in the shotgun. But, uh, you know, Max has taken uh, a majority of the reps with first team and second team. What can you tell us about Max? Why is he in this situation? And who is, I guess, the third team backup? Who is the third team quarterback at this point? Because it's it's not Alex Dalton and it's not Mike Collins and it's not Justin Rogers. So, I mean, I mean, it's just Jeff, Jeff Ballard, Ty Gunn, uh, Sean Stilley, uh, Brandon Hassel. Who do we have? That's I think it's Max Naki. I think it's Max Naki. Yeah. Hey, that guy is older than I am. So I don't even want to know. He was a senior when I was, he was a red shirt senior when I was a freshman. So that makes him 26. Okay. So Max Naki. What do we got a quarterback, Jeremy? There's not much behind Max, and and we were talking to Coach P the other day about it, and he mentioned – and if you go back to read the, the quarterback preview I was doing, I had mentioned that he would likely see second-team reps because it's it's kind of – it's it's not great that they don't have a backup, but it's great for Max because it gives him extra reps. You build uh, a good chemistry not only with the first set of receivers but the second set of receivers – uh, it, it, that's, that's good for, for all parties involved, but Max needs the reps. I mean, let's, let's be honest. He had a, a, a decent, that's about as good as you can describe it for a true freshman. He had a decent year last year and he has so much potential to get better. And I think it's only going to help him now that he's, he doesn't have this stress of looking over his shoulder. He is the guy. Uh, Grant Buchler's not going to beat him out. Logan Burnett's not going to beat him out in the spring. It's Max's team. He's going to go first, second team. And Coach said it best, man. He he really needs the reps. And I think he mentioned back in 04, Ty Gunn was hurt. And Brandon Hassel had to take a lot of the snaps in the spring. And so by the time Ty got hurt during the season again, Brandon had to come in and, and, and play and – Coach P attributed his success to to what he had to do in the spring since he got so many reps in the spring. So it could be, it could be very beneficial for Max and, and for TCU, and we'll see how it goes. But but I, I like it. I mean, they're they're probably they're not probably they are they're they're being very strict with any any close contact whatsoever. I mean, if we hear Max is hurt and it happened off a tackle or something we might be looking at the portal to see if a defensive end or someone's transferring because it won't be a good thing if he gets hurt by, by getting hit. But the, as far as the second team, I think it's Burnett right now and, and Buchler's third team. It's all going to change in the fall, though, for quarterback. The only thing that's not going to change is, number one, uh, Max Duggan, he's going to be your guy. Uh, depending on how healthy Baldwin is and Downing, They'll they'll add some competition to the mix, but I really I really think Stephon Brown might have a say in this whole deal. It, it, I'm not going to say he's going to push Max or anything, but he could get in there and and you know beat out Matthew Downing for second spot or Baldwin for second spot. I I just don't know enough about Baldwin's health right now to to guarantee that he'll be second string or even battle Max for the starting position, which. Uh, if we're talking about a healthy Baldwin, you probably could see that scenario, but we, we really don't know right now. But I, I think it's a really, really good thing for Max to be getting so many reps this spring. 
Yeah, I think it's really good for Max to get these reps this spring, too. Uh, won't be splitting them with Alex Delton. Uh, uh, just to make, make it clear, he won't be splitting them with Max Naki. But I think this gives him a chance to really lock in. I like your comment about he's going to have serious reps with the first team and the second team wide receivers. Hopefully we're not rotating 13 guys in five spots out there, but still somebody's going to be out there and he needs to be locked in with him in terms of how he runs his routes, how he cuts when he turns. So quarterback's important. Obviously quarterback's important, but the the position I'm most that, that has my has my curiosity. I won't even say I'm worried, but running back, you lose two guys, you know, obviously with Shewo and with Darius, both of whom at the NFL combine that we'll talk about here in a minute. What do you see at running back? We obviously have two freshmen that were able to redshirt. Uh, you know, is DeMarcado going to be able to come back? We'll, we'll get your insight on that. Is he going to be healthy? But take us inside the running back room and who you think is going to be seeing the field with first-team reps this spring and, more importantly, this fall. I asked Coach about them the other day and really just specifically asking about Darwin and DeMarquay, and he offered up Amari's looking good too, so – uh, obviously he's back and healthy, but he didn't go into too much detail about the running backs. Uh, if we are just going off last year, obviously Barlow got the most carries. I think versatility-wise, he's he's the most versatile of the group. I think uh, Amari's probably second among that group. He, I mean, it's really close between those two. As far as the power running, I think DeMarquez definitely the guy uh, that's the best at that. And I think once everyone saw him play against Kansas last year, you saw kind of a mixture of of power and deceptive speed. The, the kid's not slow. I mean, that's the whole reason he's even in a TCU uniform because he came down the, the summer before his senior year and, and they were expecting him to run a 4-6 at a, at a camp they had. And he ran two consecutive hand-time 4-3-9s and he got an offer and he immediately committed. So – we know he's got some some speed to him, but it's it's really tough. And I said this on my preview, Jeff. It very easily could be a depth chart where, where we see Darwin Barlow or Demarquay Foster or Amari DiMercato. Right, so I, I really think it's going to look a lot like it did for the quarterback group at the end of spring last year when you had so many oars behind the quarterbacks. Um, but it, it's going to be one of those years where you're going to see multiple carries by three of those running backs. And I, I feel if one of them gets on a hot streak and they're having a good game, then obviously you'll see those guys, just like we did with Darius and Shea, one of them's going to get more carries than the other. But I, I would say right now, if you're asking me who I think is going to trot out there against Cal, it'll probably be Barlow. Redshirt freshman getting a big start on the road against a uh, what's going to be a pretty salty Pac-12 team. All right, let's go to the other position that's weak as can be, defensive end. O'Shawn Mathis is getting some things, quote, cleaned up this spring, so he will not be playing. Who do you see is on the two deep at defensive end? Because this is clearly where production was lacking at times, and most of the time this last fall. But what do you see projecting forward into the spring and then into the fall at defensive end? Well, you hope that Colt Ellison kind of carries over what he was able to do late in the year last year. Uh, he ended up having to uh, play seven games, I believe, and he's got really, really good potential. Uh, and I I don't think he's as quick as some of the other guys on the roster, but I, I do think he's he's got a, a, a great combination of deceptive speed and, and power. I mean, he's, he's one of the stronger guys amongst the group, but the the – player that he that coach Patterson mentioned the other day which kind of caught me by surprise a little bit because I didn't think he would already make an impact so fast was uh Kari Coleman and someone asked on the board if if that was uh solicited if we were asking specifically about him and it, it was unsolicited he just he just brought up how Kari was looking how Patrick Jenkins was looking and that's a big thing for Kari because he's a speed guy. They need they need a guy that can get around the edge and get to the quarterback. It, this was a very, very bad year last year for defensive ends. They only had five sacks on the year, five, five or five and a half, whatever it is. I, 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 less than 10, less than 15, what they had been 
getting uh, from their defensive ends the last few years. I mean, it was just a it was just a very bad year. But it, it's good to hear that uh, a young true freshman is already making an impact. Parker Workman's the worker bee. I mean, he's he's not ever going to be a, a, a guy that will go out and get ten to fifteen sacks, but he's going to go in there and he may not get a lot of stats, but he'll do something where the other three guys on the line can make a play. It's a it's 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 pretty much what Michael Epley did a few years ago for TCU and. Uh, it, it's just one of those guys that he's never going to kill a game in the stat column, but he does enough where the typical fan may not see it or understand it. And we'll hear about it after a game, how Parker Workman had a great game and we're going to look at the stat line and we see two tackles, but he'll do things that make other guys around him better. Brandon Bowen. I mean, we we're talking about Winstar earlier. I see it. <laughs> and that's that's not a knock on Brandon. I mean, but the, the poor guys just battled injuries his whole career. I mean, Brandon, his entire career. It, betting on him is like hitting on 20 thinking you're going to get an ace when the dealer has 16. Yeah. I'll I mean, it really, it. it really is. It can happen. Just don't bank on it. Yeah. He's got – I mean, last year even when he was healthy, I remember Gary telling us that – Brandon was real passive with his shoulder and he's got to get past that. And we ended up seeing him not, not play it down last year. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I I'm pretty sure he's played less than 12 games his entire career. It's between 12 and 15. So you, you honestly don't know what you're going to get with Brandon. I mean, potential through the roof coming out of high school, but again, injuries have just, they just slapped him in the face and I feel bad for the kid because he's a, he's a really good kid and he dang sure passes the eyeball test. I mean, he, he's one of those kids that you look at and think, man, he is, he's an athletic looking dude. Why, why is he not making plays? And you look at what's happened to him and you understand why, but Thomas Armstrong, the guy I, I said would be the breakout player. He is practicing. He is going. And I asked coach about him the other day. I said, Hey, how's Thomas looking? And is he going like you said that he would be on signing day? And he said, yeah, he's going, but he's not going. And what he meant meant by that was he's out there, he's practicing, but he's not doing nearly as good as they thought he would be right now. I think uh, just not playing last year and, and getting back into the groove, he's coming along a little bit slower than, than uh, what they had thought, but, it, it is good to have another body out there, uh, especially since O'Shawn's not out there this spring. But it, it, I think the group can only go up from last year. I, I don't know how it could be any worse unless you just don't get any sacks. But I have full faith in O'Shawn Mathis getting better. Colt Ellison, like I said earlier with Parker, I think he'll contribute. Uh, Kari, depending on if he plays, he – he could be a kid that comes out of nowhere and surprises us all. But I think for the most part, defensive end, we won't really know what TCU has until after about the first three or four games. That'll be interesting to see what happens there. All right, let's flip to the last position I want to get your take on. Uh, We're not going to talk offensive line. We could do three podcasts in a row on offensive line. I'm really curious about wide receiver. Obviously, we're losing Jalen Rager. We'll talk about the combine here in a second. Um, what are, what did you hear from Coach Patterson about who's looking sharp, who needs to step up, who needs to grow up on the wide receiver uh, at, at, at the depth chart on wide receiver? Because that's going to be an area of production that, with or without Jalen Rager, they, they kind of underperformed last year. And you can blame that on online. You can blame that on Max Duggan. There's plenty of blame to go around. Outside of Tay Barber, who I actually think was better than Jalen Rager last year, I don't know what's coming back that gets me excited. There's a lot of potential. Yeah. I don't see a lot of production. What do you got? Well, he didn't really get into receivers the other day. Um, surprisingly, he just talked about how they've got to catch better, got to help Max out. The one guy that I did hear about before practices started that they expected to have a pretty good spring camp was uh, Blair Conright. And he's he's a kid that I, I know a lot of the fans liked last year. He had a good game against SMU. 
And I think he ended up playing in three games. He's one of those kids I think could have played last year. I, I, I really do feel that he could have contributed some way as a true freshman and, and really been more consistent than some of the older guys that they had out there. Uh, not mentioning names, but I just know he could have been more consistent. But he's going to give them a, a solid clutch receiver. He does a great job catching the ball. He's a great route runner. He's added weight. That's one thing that kind of held him back last year was just kind of skinny. Uh, but he's added good weight. He's still got good speed. And he's ver- he's real versatile, too. He's one of those kids that could play inside or outside. I think he's going to really play uh, mostly inside for now. But I am going to make it a point the next time we talk to Coach P, which is looking like it's probably not going to be until the 17th of March because they're they're getting ready to have – I believe their last practice before spring break is either tomorrow or Saturday. Then they're, they're off all next week. And uh, I think right now we're tentatively scheduled to talk to Coach P on that Monday or Tuesday once they get back. So it's going to be a, a long few days for TCU fans to, to not get any kind of uh, practice information. But we'll all see how it goes. And I am going to make it a, a point to ask really – who's standing out at receiver right now. He did say there's, he did say there's no Jalen Ragers. That's about it. All right. Fair enough. There are no Jalen Ragers. That's for sure. Jalen Ragers not walking through that door. Nope. He's not coming back. He's already signed with the agent. He can't come back. He can't come back. All right. Let's stay with football, but let's jump forward to the next level uh, where people be going pro. All right, we got the NFL uh, Combine. The Frogs had the most team, most players from the state of Texas at the NFL Combine. Uh, there's a lot of players we could talk about. Rather than kind of getting inside of each and every one, let's go with two guys that I really think our fan base is curious about because they both left early. Let's start with Ross Blacklock. Ross Blacklock uh, leaves early, has, had a chance to come back for a senior season, uh, didn't quite have that year that we thought he would. He only played two years because when you consider the red shirt and the, the Achilles – how did Max or how did Ross uh, test up there in Indianapolis? And what are the what's the word you're hearing formally and informally about where he is going to be projected in this year's draft? I think the more and more people look at him and and kind of see where he weighs right now, he can he can add weight. I think he really wanted to lose that weight so he'd run a better time. But he's been projected by a lot of experts here recently as as a first round guy. Um, and if he's not a first-round guy, he's an early second-round guy. And for a guy that a lot of people thought was making a mistake coming out early because when he initially announced there was mock drafts that even one had him in the seventh round, and I, I, I never could believe that. I, I never thought Ross would go beyond the third or fourth round just based on his size and athleticism. He's You, you put those two things together, and then he goes out and runs a 4-9-1, and – we all knew that he was going to be pretty quick at that. He, as far as the uh, the shuttle and and the vertical and broad jump and all those other testing they did, he was pretty average um, with all the other def- defensive tackles. I know in the shuttle he didn't run uh, a really great time. I don't have it in front of me, but I went through and did did a story on kind of where he finished, and he might have finished in the top three in another testing that he did but I, I can't remember which one it was. All right, Blacklock I think is going to go late first, early second. Let's flip over to Jalen Rager, another player that left early. Uh, everybody said he's going to uh, be a freak when they get to the uh, individual uh, times and, and his ability to jump and, and all of that stuff. I wasn't all that impressed. Wasn't impressed with his 40 time, a few things he did well. well you, you got some sources about the Ragers especially around Jalen and Monty. What, what are you hearing about how they feel about it and how scouts might be feeling about Jalen Rager? Things looked really, really good for him when he when he did his vertical. He got the second-best vertical when he did his broad jump. I thought he was going to get pretty close to 12 just based on what he had as a long jumper in high school. I mean, the kid went 26 feet in high school. So I knew that the, the guy could, could jump. Uh, and things looked really good for Jalen early on until he got to his 40. And 
the thing about his 40 was it, I think his 40 is what it is. We all watched the film and, and we all know Jalen's fast. And I think for the most part, the, from what I've gathered and talking with a lot of people is that the time looks bad because he was telling a lot of people that he felt like he was capable of getting in the four twos and four threes. So the expectations were set pretty high. And then kind of the comment about setting the standard standard for, for rugs and rugs went out there and ran a, you know, four, two, seven. So we, we all know he's very quick, but I never would have thought in my wildest dreams that Jalen would have ran a four, four, seven, and then a four, five, Oh, and Denzel Mims running a faster time. And, and the shuttle time he ran was not good at all. I mean, it just, it just wasn't good. So I know the plan for him when they, when they do the pro day on the 27th is he's going to run a 40. I believe he may run the shuttle and that's it. He's not going to do any kind of workouts. He's already got a great vertical, already got a great broad jump. As far as kind of where he's standing in the draft, there's still some teams that really like his versatility. He's a great returner. He's, he's a durable kid. I mean, he, he really was never hurting in college. I mean, now he weighs between 200 and 206 pounds. It's, it's going to vary. So he's going to be durable as, as far as uh, not being a 180-pound guy trying to return kicks or punts. So he's got some value in that. His film doesn't lie, like you've seen on his tweets. Film doesn't lie. He, he makes play after play. And there, there's guys that have that football speed, and there's guys that have that track speed. And What I mean by that is you can have a guy that goes out and runs a 4-8, but if he's very good on the football field, he's smart, he knows what he's doing, he knows every scheme, that 4-8 can quickly be- become a 4-6. And then there's guys on the field that can run a 4-4, but they don't know what the heck they're doing on the on the football field. They run a 4-4 testing, but they have no clue how to how to read things, where to go, do whatever. Coaches are constantly having to remind them, and, and those guys can quickly turn into 4-6 type players. So I, I firmly believe Jalen is one of those guys that runs a 4-4 in testing, and he'll run a 4-4 on the field. He just he's just that kind of kid. So as far as what I personally think where he's going to get drafted, I was kind of in the middle uh, in the line of thinking that he was going to get drafted in the first round. I thought if he, if he had a chance, it would be in the, in the later round, but you know, 20 and higher, but right now just your, my life depends on it. I, I would say he goes high in the second round. I think he's high in the second round, and I think I think Ross goes before him, though. So I'm going to go with Ross, Jalen, uh, Ross, then Jalen early uh, in the second round, and we'll we'll kind of see what goes from there. So my my predicted order is Ross goes first, Jeff Gladney goes second, Jalen goes third, Lucas goes fourth, and I'm still up in the air about the other guys. I would have agreed with you until Gladney had surgery this week. Yeah, I mean he he did have surgery, but he still got a lot of value. I mean, he he ran a decent time, but his film doesn't lie either. He's very he's a very good cover corner. Um, and what and, and what I'm outside of New Boston be sleeping on him. <laughs> That's true, <laughs> but I I I I don't think he's going to get drafted in the first round. I think the only I think the only frog that gets drafted in the first round uh, is Ross. I think he's really the only one that has a chance because I, I just it's going to be too hard for teams to pass up a guy that's basically six four. He'll play at three hundred pounds and and have that type of quickness and athleticism. Even though he has thirty seven parking tickets, I think uh, I think he's going to be very valuable and 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 that's one of those positions that you you just take i mean if he's if he's on the board sitting there at 25 you're you're probably going to take him i know guys that pledged fiji that had that before labor day their freshman year in terms of parking tickets so how many I, do you have 
I know I had 15 and I had to go pay for some before I graduated from Bright that I didn't even know I had. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. I remember my my senior year at TCU in my last year and a half at Bright, I didn't even have a parking pass. I would just park and, you know, you just kind of baked it in. It was it was cost of doing business. So Ross I, and, and this was back that, you know, they didn't take it out of your account. They just put it on your bill. And so I guess now what do they do? They bill your food account or they take, or I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, I know. I personally don't think that you should get a parking ticket if you're for, if you're a starter, especially if you're a four star. Yeah. I mean, three stars. Yeah. You can give them a couple tickets each semester, but not a four star. I mean, come on. No, four stars. No partial pick maybe. I mean, I know. but those, man, those campus police, they, they're ruthless. I mean, Mark yeah. has told me over the years because we'll have media, we'll have media availability and we'll get to the parking lot and there's nothing there, so you have to park in a thirty minute spot. And man, if you go over that thirty minutes, I mean they're over there fast. And Mark's always been, you know, if you get a ticket, just let us know and uh, we'll we'll get it taken care of because they don't waste any time, man. They're always checking. I had one guy ask me, why are you parked in this parking lot? And I said, I'm with media. He says, no, you're not. And then I had to pull my credential out from under my shirt. Hey, I want to know what's the use of campus police if they can't brush a parking ticket under the rug for a a starting defensive lineman? (laughs) Think of all the publicity hits they took the last few weeks, Jeff. Just oh, think about that. Oh, it's the cops. It's not Ross Blacklock. Every every former student on Twitter was like, "Yeah, I had fifty. Yeah, I had oh, thirty-seven. Yeah. Oh my gosh, there's so many. So many of the accounts that I follow are like, "Yep, that sounds about right. Thirty-seven. I, I, that sounds about right." <laughs> I just can't believe that. I know uh, D- Davy's Ghost, uh, one of the best accounts to follow on on for TCU fans. Uh, he he was talking about if you don't have thirty seven, did you actually go to TCU? You know, <laughs> yeah. Colin Burns, another great account. He was talking about how many he had. So it's a it's a rite of passage. In fact, if you don't have at least twenty, uh, you you're not a student. You were living off campus the whole time. You transferred in from TCJC, so or TCC. <laughs> yeah, get it right, TCC. Hadn't been TCJC in I don't know what twenty years. So. Oh, no. But I still like the Wii Lounge, so that's how old I am. All right, let's keep going. Transition. Awkward transition. Let's go basketball. Uh, Yeah, we talk about basketball none of the time. But the Frogs beat Baylor at home. Any day you beat Baylor is a good day. Daniel, I know you're barely awake, so Jeremy, wake him up here. Uh, Beating Baylor, beating the Drews at home, beating the fighting Drews at home has to feel good to watch the Frogs be able to beat the Baylor Bears. Always. And, you know, it, it doesn't really make a huge impact on either team's season too much, but it doesn't matter. It's Baylor. Um, they deserve to be beaten mercilessly. And, and that's, you know, that's a good win. They were, you know, ranked number two and then uh, tried to do what they could against Kansas. Couldn't quite pull it off, but um, I don't care about Kansas. I want to beat Baylor. That's what matters. You know, I got to confess, I have a guy, husband and wife, they go to our church, nicest people in the world. He's a Baylor grad. And so the day after uh, that happened, when we do the the pass into the peace and greet people, I went up and it's like, hey, did you see the basketball game yesterday? It's like, I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's good to watch TCU beat Baylor. I, I'm going to admit, just full disclosure, I did not watch the first half, and I was like, I don't even want to expose myself to this. I had, I was behind on my sermon. I had stuff going on. And then finally, I ripped, my phone started blowing up with from the text thread that I'm on, and they're like, are you watching this? I'm like, oh, yeah, I've been watching it the whole time. Flip the TV on. Great, great win. I love Desmond Bain. Build that guy a statue. In terms of the, the, uh, the, the, the way that that translates in basketball, Desmond Bain, he needs his own statue because after Kurt Thomas, it's him. So – and maybe Billy Tubbs. Happy 85th birthday, Billy Tubbs. But, man, I loved watching that game. What You were there, Jeremy, covering the game. What did you think of the, the, the Frogs' performance taking down the Bears? I mean, it was it was awesome to see that. And you know what's crazy about that game is they literally had eight guys see the floor. And one of them, Owen, I can't pronounce his last name. He's the walk-on kid. He's great story. 
um, he played five or six minutes. So really, they they beat the number two team in the nation with seven players. They didn't have RJ. They didn't have Farabello. And you've got a great game from Desmond. P.J. Fuller stepped it up big time, had the best game of his young career. It was energetic. And Desmond, just the second half, was incredible to watch. He couldn't miss. And the play where he crossed over Gillespie, I mean, I thought the roof was going to come down on that place. It was so loud in there. The crowd did a fantastic job of just making it a stinking college basketball atmosphere. I mean, it, it was it was great for the fans not to be sitting on their hands. They were getting into it. There's been games there this year where you thought TCU was the visiting team. That's how bad it's been. And there was a lot of there was a good uh, contingency of, of of Baylor fans, but TCU fans were out there too. They were loud, and I think once TCU got up on that crossover from Bain where he when he drained that three that everyone in the, in the place knew that it was pretty much TCU's game to, to win, but great win for them. I, I just keep going back to, they, they basically had seven guys and and they win that. And I was on a, I was on a radio show probably about two or three weeks ago. And we were talking about it, it, it. Actually, it was right after the Texas game when they went down to Austin and there was about, 1500 fans uh, for Texas at that game and they were down. They didn't have, uh, they didn't have Jericho Sims. They didn't have Matt Coleman and TCU goes down there needing the win. They went down there and laid an egg and, and I went on the radio the next day and said, listen, this, this team, they don't seem like they have any fight in them and they, they're not, they're not playing good at all. And then they beat West Virginia and but I think uh, one of my lines on the radio show was they're going to lose to Baylor by thirty points. There's no way they're going to upset Baylor. And wrong. I'll be, yeah, I'll be. I even text the. I even text the guy after the game. I said, "Man, I I'm I'm over here eating some crow right now after that after that Baylor line I had on your show." And uh, he said, "Man, I I couldn't believe it either." So it's it's really good. It's. The, the way they've played uh, against Baylor was was nice to see. They they played really good against Kansas in the first half last night, but couldn't get it done, and, and that's understandable. They're on the road. Allen Fieldhouse is a tough place to play. They've never won up there since joining the Big 12, but back to Baylor. I mean, that's what they need. I don't, I don't know if it's going to be enough. Uh, I mean, I, I personally feel they're in the NIT right now. They've got to go up there and make some noise in the Big 12 tournament, which I think they can. But the one thing that I will say about this team is the expectations weren't really there this year. They had so many new parts. I mean, this team was predicted to finish 10th in the Big 12 this year. And right now, you take away a couple games that they probably should have won, the one-point loss to Texas, going on the road to Iowa State and losing that game losing at Oklahoma State. This, this team is just a few losses away from being where Texas is sitting right now. And and really, I mean, when you're thinking about it, that's we're all talking about this is Jamie Dixon's fourth year. He should be doing better with, with all the new parts they had. This is exceeding expectations to what people thought they were going to be able to accomplish before the season started. Uh, and I know fans, fans, they, they have the highest expectations of everyone. They, they want to win every game. They, they, they look at Lubbock, Texas and see Chris Beard, how great he is in the same amount of time. Jamie Dixon's been at TCU, but they also didn't have as many new parts as TCU has this year. So uh, I would say they've exceeded my expectations personally. Uh, I do think they can play better uh, and could have played better in some of those games. But overall, uh, in the end, I I think the team will probably be in the NIT and we'll see them make another run like they have in the past. And uh, I know a lot of fans will be disappointed because it's not the the big tournament, but it is what it is. You you can't lose some of the games you're supposed to win. No, those are games they got to win. That Oklahoma State game, that Iowa State game, that kind of stands out. Doesn't mean they're in the tournament if they win those, but they're in a chance to 
play themselves into it without having to win the Big 12 title up there in uh, Kansas City. So we'll keep an eye on that. All right, I'm going to make a full confession. Two things. I am excited about the start of the baseball team. I don't have anything to talk about. Frogs are 10-1, and one, off to a great start this season. Uh, man, get get out the broom, sweeping cow. That was nice. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're going to brush up on baseball. We're going to have a chance as, as baseball just kind of stands alone here in a couple of weeks to be able to focus on that. But uh, if you're a baseball fan, let us know. Hit us up and let us know what you want to know. We'll do a question and answer uh, a session on baseball here down the road. And uh, we are always on the lookout for people that are passionate about baseball because I have a harder time getting the games than other people. We can't always get out there to the game, but we know this team is loaded. I have a feeling the Frogs are going to have a heck of a season here in 2020 when it comes to baseball. Hey, we've been out uh, Horn Frog Blitz. Colin Gray, he's been out there three times for us. Colin Gray is a, a sophomore student at TCU. He's been interning for me for, uh, I think, about two months, but – I think he's more of a, a baseball guy, so hopefully the cover, coverage he he's able to bring to you guys is a little bit of something. Uh, he's doing a great job on the site. If you're not part of Horn Frog Blitz, go there, sign up. Yeah, Colin's been doing a great job on the site. I like his articles. He's getting better every week, really kind of getting his legs underneath him. So, yeah, you're going to follow along and get some good coverage from Colin Gray. So stay connected that way. Stay logged on to Horn Frog Blitz for all the latest. <laughs> Best line right. ever. Yeah, best line ever. All right, hey, I think we'll break. Go ahead. Hey, we. I, I wanted to mention something about basketball in general, not TCU related. But uh, do you think? Do you think uh, Chris Del Conte's happy right now, knowing that he doesn't have to fire Shaka Smart? How much pressure he's kind of been relieved of since Texas has gone on like a five or six game winning streak. You know, I think he's relieved, but in the same way, it might be the way that uh, USC is relieved that they don't have to fire Clay Helton. I'm not comparing USC football to. Oh, Texas that's football. that's actually a great point. That they don't. He's not going to win. Is 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 Shaka Smart going to get him to the Great Eight or the Sweet Six or the uh, Final Four? No. Are they going to un- dislodge Can? Are they going to set themselves as the number two team in the Big Twelve, which is wide open? And you know, you never know who's going to come in second. You always know Kansas come in first. I he might be relieved, but it's more like a reprieve before the execution because Shaka Smart is not going to win at Texas the way that fans think they should. So I don't know. I bet Del Conte is relieved for this season, but it's not going to. When they go into that new arena they're building, Shaka Smart will not be the head coach. I know one thing for sure that that I'm very glad of is Azubuki graduating and and not being on Kansas roster next year. No kidding. No, man, I got to tell you, Kansas better be good for one more fight this season. I want to see chairs thrown, (laughs) uh, students spitting on K-State players. If they could do that at the Big 12 tournament, that that would be great. I would love it. If we could get a KU – Great TV. If we get a Kansas-Kansas State game where TCU's already won and the winner plays TCU – and then they could just have like a melee with a minute left where there's 14 ejections and three injuries. I would love it. <laughs> three injuries. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The way they swing those chairs around, you never know. Somebody's going to get an eye poked out. Hey, did the kid actually swing it or he just put it above his head like he wanted to swing it? I, I think he had it above his head and wanted to swing it, but it makes for a great picture. That's all I know because – I mean, he looked like he was leading the French Revolution, dropping the guillotine on Marie Antoinette. I mean, that thing was locked and loaded. <laughs> oh, that was great. That was great. So, and, and you know, that's a beautiful example of uh, student athletes. You know, they're there for education. They're there for one reason, and that's to further their academic interests. And in the end, these kids are just students. They're not. I mean, basketball is almost an afterthought at Kansas compared to their commitment to higher education, liberal arts, humanities, research. That's what they're about. Let me tell you something. It had tell it had nothing on TCU Memphis circa two thousand. Two thousand. Was it? Was it two thousand three? Two thousand two. Two thousand three. Two thousand two. It was, all I know is it was when Lante Hobbs was a freshman. Lante Hobbs was a freshman, and then who was who was the shovel boy? It wasn't Aaron. Was it Bo? It was Bo. I I had a friend that worked in the video department, and he told me he swore to me 
there was a video of of Bo Schobel under the the pile giving some Memphis guy the business to the throat that <laughs> that video would never see the light of day. <laughs> well, now you've just let everyone know about it, so it's going to be talked about. Well, I think 18 years later, I think we can we can all begin to talk about it. the statute of limitations have been lifted. It's like the Hoffa murder. That's how you can make uh, the Irishman now. The, the statute of limitations have been lifted. So I, I remember that fight. That fight was epic. That was that was an epic fight. You know, Memphis tends to get in those fights. You remember that BYU Memphis game, a bowl game, a couple of years ago. And a big surprise, BYU started the fight. Some guy took his helmet off and pl- clocked a kid with it from Memphis. And then there was a, I'm, I, you know what? I'm going to put my money on the kids from South Memphis over a bunch of LDS kids. That's just me. You think? <laughs> I'm going to go with Memphis on that one. Yes. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. <laughs> We're just, I mean, it's, it's just good that, Social media and everything else wasn't around back when that fight with TCU and Memphis happened because it could have been talked about just as much as that Miami and uh, Florida Atlantic fight. Was it Florida International or Florida International? Yeah, Miami, they had a fight. That's right. Yeah, and you know what's crazy is that was the year that the Frogs went to the Liberty Bowl in Memphis and they, they played Colorado State that year and beat them. Oh yeah. That's right. Was it, was it Bradley Van Pelt, quarterback? Bad, yeah, I know, man. He was the original Mike Gundy wannabe with that bad mullet. Oh, man. We're showing our age now. We are. I was 10. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get this show into the ditch where it's at. <laughs> We're heading there. Let's get it there. All right. We want to thank you for listening to the Frogcast. If you haven't yet, go to iTunes. Give us a rating and a review. Let people know that you appreciate this podcast. We want people that follow TCU football to come and listen to us talk about TCU football. Also, go to hornfrogblitz.com. Now is a great time to sign up. You can stay connected to everything that's going on. Colin Gray's got some great stories on TCU baseball. Jeremy, as always, is setting out a full plate of inside information, stuff here at the press conference, and stuff he knows from his great sources on TCU football. So until we get back together again, for Daniel Southern, for Jeremy Clark, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening to the broadcast brought to you by Windstar. Windstar.